Hi, this is Richard Pryor Jr., and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts with a reminder that Dolly Reed Martin will join us later on this hour. We have to tune for that. In the meantime, Greg Airbar is with us as we take a look at the various configurations of the Partridge family that are available on DVD. I want to talk about Dave Madden in just a second, but while we're talking about the albums, and this is very interesting because in one of our prior segments, when we were talking about Scooby-Doo, we talked about what are known as romps. Essentially, an early, early, early version of a music video where you would have a live-action sequence of a villain chasing one of the regular characters with a contemporary song playing in the background. The Monkees did this all the time, were probably the first to do this for network television, and the Partridge Family, also being a Screen Gems production, if I remember correctly, did much the same thing, and they used the series as a way to promote the albums. Now, we are not the first person to say this. It's been documented on many other print articles and documentaries and so forth. But other than Shirley Jones and David Cassidy, none of the actors who appeared on The Partridge Family sang any of the vocals. That was done by a backup group called the Cowsills, if I remember correctly. Well, actually, the Cowsills were a separate group that were a real family. Okay. And... They were, I believe, in discussion to be the family on the television show, but it was a combination of their look and their skill in acting that led them to decide to use cast performers who had some experience, at least in the adult area and the teen area. Though, I mean, Susan Day didn't, but she had a presence for sure. She had a presence. So the castles were not used in the same way that Stephen Stills was in consideration for the fourth monkey. And then Peter Tork was chosen for, he had a similar look, but he was kind of better looking and he turned out to have more of a comic skill, that kind of thing. It's just as, as I constantly like to quote Tom Bosley, that's Hollywood. So <laughs> the Partridge family, and it was created by Bernard Slade, right. who also created the flying nun and wrote some of the best scripts for bewitched and, and, and also created love on a rooftop for uh, screen gems and was an accomplished playwright. <laughs> yes, so he was no slouch. Yeah. And that's why these shows, as dismissive and silly as they may seem to some people, are better than they get credit for, because the writers like that were involved with them. The point I'm bringing up with, okay, it was not the Cow Sills who did the no. vocals on the album, but the point is, other than Shirley Jones and David Cassidy, none of the actors on the show did any of the vocals on the albums that were released, and which you alluded to earlier made oodles and oodles of money but there was nowhere near the outrage there was five six years earlier uh, when the monkeys premiered and it was revealed that the monkeys didn't do their own vocals initially no it's funny the situation was very different yeah and i don't i can't quite say for a fact why that was except that the monkeys was a different kind of show it was a show about a band it was the first of its kind. I think that the music community, the musicians themselves, some of them felt that here were guys who were literally picked and cast and made into a band as opposed to a group that worked their way up, got to be a band, got the exposure and were handed this. Some of them took it that way. I also sometimes feel like in a way the monkeys were almost like 
you could just do this and make a band. It was in a way kind of kind of making fun almost of the the rock and roll industry, maybe to some real overly serious people in the industry. The monkeys proved them wrong, though, because Mickey Dolenz told me once that we're like Galaxy Quest. We were fiction that became real. We're like the Enterprise crew, but then they sent us to planets and we turned into real space travelers. So they proved them wrong. In the case of the Partridge family, it's basically a family sitcom and they play in a band. And plus their audience was slightly different by the 70s. People had gotten used to shows, the Archies, you know, they were a cartoon band and nobody even nobody knew Ron Dante was doing it. Mm-hmm. People had gotten used to that. The Monkees became a template, and it was totally imitated. Saturday morning was loaded with cartoon bands. So by the time the Partridge family came along, it was no longer an issue, and the show was a different show. I can tell you how the music was done, though. First of all, the Wrecking Crew, which were the musicians behind the Monkees by and large, Mm -hmm. until they started doing a lot more of their own playing, were behind there. And the singers were basically the Ron Hicklin singers, which varied based on what the job was. The Ron Hicklin singers were almost every vocal group in the late 60s, early 70s. It's astonishing. Now, you can go on YouTube and you can search for Ron Hicklin singers demo. It's about 15 minutes or so. You can hear the astounding number of things that go, that was them, that was them, that was them. Look. <laughs> Love American Style was them. The chorus in the movie of Puffin Stuff was them. Butch Cassidy, the theme from MASH. Sometimes it was a male chorus. Sometimes there were females in there. There were singers that basically did the singing voices for each member of the Partridges. Jackie Ward was the female voice. Jackie Ward sang for Cindy Bear in Hey There, It's Yogi Bear. Now, I don't know if you remember the song Wonderful Summer, I thank you for giving me the most wonderful summer of my life. Sung I, I don't name. remember quite it's sung like that, but that's another story. Well, that was Jackie Ward, actually. Oh, okay. That was a hit in 63. And the Baylor brothers, John and Tom Baylor, they sang on Disney records. That's how I first got to know them. And the producer, Wes Farrell. Wes Farrell was not the arranger, but he was head of music of the Partridge family. Yeah, it's all in the credits with Wes Farrell, and it pretty much discloses it. Nobody's really putting anything over on anybody. The Wes Farrell organization, I think it was Coral Rock Production, they also did the singing on the Captain Kangaroo show. There's some terrific albums that came out in the early 70s for the Captain Kangaroo singers. There's also the singing on the... Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, along with Johnny Whitaker, that's them. If you listen to the theme to Sigmund, you can hear it. sounds like the partridges are in the background. There's a real distinctive sound to them. And once you get to know it, you can really pick it out. Happy Days, you know, in the background of Laverne and Shirley. Almost all the, the Paramount shows use them. That's who they were. And the Columbia machine that put these things together was the same as the Monkees. The Cold Gems label had folded. And Bell Records actually is a label that went back to the 50s and, believe it or not, started uh, as part of the Golden Records company that was a children's label. But they also did knockoffs of pop songs and R&B songs. And the label passed through many hands. It became an R&B label and it was a small independent. And Columbia bought it. 
and started putting their TV and movie related and, and artists on the label. And so like the soundtrack to Lost Horizon, the Burt Backrack was on there. The Free to Be You and Me album was on there and all the Partridge songs and the Partridge family albums really made the Bell Records label really soar. So it was all a big Columbia enterprise. And as I said, it was extremely successful. But that's who was singing. It's why it sounded like these grown adults are singing and you see these little kids' mouths move. And one other little thing, and this is explained, there's a lot of cool extras on the first season disc. The singing of Shirley Jones. Now, every album says starring Shirley Jones featuring David Casty. Shirley Jones' voice is turned up more on TV because she's the star of the show. Mm -hmm. But on the pop records, because teens were listening, she's way down lower. And David Cassidy is up higher, except on the Christmas album where she has solos. That's the only time where she has solos on vinyl or on CD. But on the television show, she does get a few other solos like the whale episode. Yeah, when she did our show in 2013, Greg, she kind of joked. I don't remember the other one, but she said she only had two solos on that show. Yes. Uh, one of which was the whale song, which she says in her book and what she said to us on the air was one of her favorite songs. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Shirley Jones is that she never lost her skill for singing because she kept practicing. Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine she still does. I think she still appears. I saw her live at Epcot. They used to have classic performers like Carol Channing there yeah. and uh, Rosemary Clooney and Maureen McGovern and people like that. And Shirley Jones appeared, and her voice was as strong as ever because – Clearly, she still trains, she still performs, and uh, some singers don't. Some singers stop singing, and yeah. that's about it. Barbara They're... Eden being one such example. I read an interview once where she said she described one singing voice as like a muscle, an athletic yes. muscle. And if you don't practice, if you don't continue to cultivate it, you lose the ability to sing. And that is one reason why Barbara Eden doesn't sing anymore, and Shirley Jones does, because Barbara Eden did not cultivate that muscle after the 70s, and she lost the ability to sing. Greg Airbar is with us as we take a look at the various configurations of the Partridge family that are now available on DVD. You know, one other thing we might want to mention is the occasional appearances of Rosemary DeCamp and Ray Bolger. That's Shirley's mom and dad. Yeah, who I never felt liked each other terribly much, and... <laughs> you know, and it's like they were constantly bickering and constantly divorcing. And it's like, what was the deal there? It's like, Shirley seemed to have come from a dysfunctional family on TV, too. And yet her kids turned out relatively okay. Yes, they did. At yes. least on television. They could be kind of wiseacres to each other, but that was the extent of it. Yeah, but, the, yeah but the reason for that, at least in the case of Danny Partridge, is as Ruben... Kincaid aptly and famously put it in the pilot episode, he's a 40-year-old midget. A term we cannot use anymore. But <laughs> No, no, little person, yes. But one of the things that the series kind of got away from, and this happens with a lot of series, this series was on for four seasons, is the earlier episodes stayed truer, and maybe it was because of the, the writers who they had originally and maybe moved on. But the series in its early season were truer to the premise. And Danny was a financial whiz and read the Wall Street Journal. And the show was about them traveling and her dealing with driving the bus and working in Vegas and adjusting to 
that business. What was it like if you really were a family and you suddenly had to play clubs? There was even an episode where they played in a African-American club that had Richard Pryor in it. And it was the 70s. Everybody got along fine and everybody learned to come on people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together. Time to love one another. And as Dave Madden said in his book, which I think he released in either 2007 or 2010, he talked about how he personally liked the first year of the show better than the other three, A, because he had more to do, and B, for the reason you just said, it was more realistic to the premise, and it gave Ruben... Kincaid more to do because in addition to depicting the adventures of a working mom and her five kids being on the road going from town to town doing venues while Shirley was raising a family, Reuben Kincaid was often seen doing the sorts of things that managers do, which is solve problems, the most famous of which and arguably the most ridiculous of which was the episode in which a skunk invades the bus and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and stinks up all their costumes and stinks up all the family. And it's Ruben who comes up with a solution of tomato juice, which sounds ridiculous, but it's scientifically proven there is something about the chemical mixture of tomato juice that counteracts the spray of a skunk. Ruben solved problems like that all the time throughout the first season. And as Dave Madden explained in his book, Ruben on Rye, W-R-Y, as David's Cassidy's star shined, Ruben's star diminished. And so a lot of the dialogue that was originally given to Ruben was given to Keith. And so we, even though Ruben was still depicted as the manager, there was not as much for him to do in the last three seasons because the show became more domesticated. That's exactly what happened. That's absolutely true. And that's a thing that happens with sitcoms. First of all, the network and everyone starts to emphasize the characters that are breakout. And it wasn't even necessarily planned that Keith or David Cassidy would be breakout. Of course, they cast the cute. He was adorable and cute. So with the puka shells and everything, then mm-hmm. the hair, there was just, and they made jokes about don't touch the hair yeah. and things. They made fun of the fact that he was adorable and cute, yet he was able to, unlike Hannah Montana, who had to disguise her stardom, he was able to function in the real world most of the time without being mobbed. But that's what happens with series. They tend to start doing that and getting further away. But there were a few interesting episodes that uh, they did. There was one with a mystery writer who challenged them to that he would track them down. That was an interesting change of pace. There was also one which to this day I think is timely where a computer made a mistake and Shirley's uh, credit went crazy basically and the store would not fix it. I mean it was outlandish because it's a sitcom but it was kind of true to life. It reminded me of when Donna Reed got a credit card for a chimp on the Don Reed show. <laughs> so there were a few good ones towards the end. But yeah, the interesting ones, he's right. The interesting ones were more about that premise. But as sitcoms go, you go with what's getting you the ratings and you also kind of run out of ideas. What else can we do with this? Which brings us to why they brought aboard Ricky Siegel in the final season. Although, even though... Ruben's role was kind of, I mean, and this this is the other thing. And again, you know, only in a show like this would we even discuss the continuity. 
If I remember correctly, the Partridge family was based sort of in Los Angeles. It was it was an unnamed town in Southern California, as best as I can recall. No, they did name the town, but I forget what it is. They did name the town, but it was fictional. Okay, it, yeah, but as I recall, it, geographically, it was somewhere in the vicinity of Southern California. But in the pilot, if I remember correctly, Reuben Kincaid was based in Las Vegas. And it was never clear where Ruben lived in the first season, but wherever they were, he was always an airplane ride, a jet ride away. As the show morphed into the more domesticated version that we talked about, somehow Ruben became closer geographically, almost like a neighbor's. But at the same time, he served a different function, uh, not necessarily a surrogate dad, but in some cases the surrogate adult, because he gave Shirley an adult to talk to, to work out some problems. You know, there was one episode, I think, where, and this is a typical sitcom trope, Keith wants his own apartment. And Shirley didn't think that Keith was old enough to handle the responsibilities of that. And it was Reuben who basically said to Shirley, okay, you're, you're right, I agree with you, but you can't tell him that. You have to let him find that out himself. And that's essentially how it played out. Yeah, that's true. More was more than this because he was someone who, if Shirley couldn't reach them, then he could. But when you have the other adult, you have what I like to call the Trixie Norton character. You have to have somebody for them to talk to on their own level. So you have to have some person. It's like the, the villain in a melodrama they have to have an Igor because they have to tell what their evil plan is yeah but yeah that's kind of what Ruben became and it wasn't quite as fun for him but he did have a purpose and so he did stay through and it was nice to see that Dave Madden had that because before that he threw confetti on laughing well yeah but he he was also a stand-up comedian at the time he was doing laughing true he did he did stuff on the Hollywood Palace and I, I know one of his shticks was he drank milk on stage that's right. And I also want to point out that he had a very distinguished and largely unheralded voiceover career. Oh, yeah. He did a lot of commercials, and he was on a series that is still running called Adventures in Odyssey. Mm-hmm. It's been on for, gosh, I would say 30 years or so. Our friend Will Ryan is a regular on it, and he used to be a regular. He was the the window washer, Bernard, who was the the salt of the earth, but he had the best lines. He always had the sort of rye, the Reuben on rye. Mm-hmm. He was the, he was a Reuben type character, the lovable curmudgeon. And he stayed with that, that show until his passing and was very proud of being on that show. I actually worked with him on a commercial I wrote for Disney. And the thing that he did that I loved the most was he played the sheep in Charlotte's web. Mm-hmm. And it was a small role, but he did so much with it because the sheep was a very, a very thankless role because the sheep mostly was haughty and irritated at Wilbur. But he says a line at the end. What he says to Wilbur after that, he says with such warmth, he completely changes his attitude. And he said, I knew what I was doing when I said that. He's acting that cartoon role. And the sheep's attitude in his voice that changes to Wilbur is very much a part of how powerful that movie to me is. The voice work in Charlotte's Web is some of the best I've ever heard in an animated feature, and he's part of that. The Partridge Family is available both as a complete series release as well as all four 
seasons are available individually somewhere, probably on Amazon. They were released. Well, you can get them individually. I believe you get them, get them in that new must see television set from our friends at Mill Creek Entertainment. And I cannot tell you that it, it contains all of the extras. Sometimes they do include the extras, uh, even though they're not separate sets, but I cannot verify that at this time. I don't want to mislead. However, they're very, very reasonable to get the entire series. But if you want to hunt down the individuals, the only one that really has substantial extras is season one. So if you wanted the extras, which has a featurette about the people behind the voices and has a little music sampler CD and audio commentaries by Shirley Jones and Danny Bonaducci, then there you go. That might be worth it for you if you want extras. But there's only four seasons, and you could get the first season if you want the extras and then just get the complete series if you don't care about extras. Just get the complete series. It's, you know, less than the price of one CD to get the whole Partridge family. That's like a little paradise. So there you go. Partridge family paradise. We read Greg Airbar's Animation spin column twice a month at cartoonresearch.com. You can also follow Greg, gregairbar.com. Greg, we'll see you again soon. Okay, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Ed. Dolly Reed Martin will join us when we come back on TV Confidential. Become an advertiser or underwriter of TV Confidential and let our brand help promote your brand. To find out more, go to televisionconfidential.com slash advertise. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life. But it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Are payday loans ruining your life? Do you want control over your money again? If you have two or more payday loan cash advances, listen closely. You may be eligible for a program payday loan companies don't want you to know about. A program that may help get aggressive and unfair payday loan companies out of your bank account and get you back on track to financial freedom. Payday loan companies may trap you into paying outrageously high interest rates, and they take way too much of your hard-earned money every week. We understand their tactics and know how to keep them off your back. We'll fight hard to help you regain control of your money. If you have two or more payday loan cash advances, call right now for a free consultation. 800-488-5880. 800-488-5880. 800-488-5880. That's 800-488-5880.
Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy. Some uncle I never knew called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him like a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called the IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy. And I'm happy too. Thanks, Tax Doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay less. 800-649-0142. 800-649-0142. That's 800-649-0142. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.